0: are y'all today? Are you ready to have some fun here tonight? All right, I need that. Can you grab that thing and set it up over here? Uh, Missed last week with you folks. Um, We were uh, actually right now bombing across America, not America, Washington State, coming home from Wazoo from Caleb's graduation. So yeah, that was really fun last weekend. And uh, hard to believe I have a kid graduated from college, two kids graduated from college now, what in the world, I'm not that old, I'll have to scoot that. the ant behind there has to scoot back a little bit, so uh, we had a great time though last weekend, and I trust you all had a great time here, uh, but we got to get going on, on Genesis, we, gotta, we got a lot to cover here, I'm just throwing everything all around, okay, so pull out your Genesis cards, did you get Genesis cards tonight? All right, pull those out. If you didn't get one, I'm sure that we'll get you one. Did anybody not get one? Okay, there are a couple. So, um, uh, where's my ushers? Are you grabbing them? Albert's going to get them. So, uh, good things. Good thing. Yeah, the garage sale today was awesome. They're fifteen dollars short of two thousand dollars. Fifteen. Did you get the fifteen? Oh, well, then we hit. Okay, so now we can really give a good, good hoot and holler. So we're sending those kids down to LA to the Dream Center, and let me uh, let me just uh, correct one little thing that uh, they're coming. I'll let you know when they when they come around the corner. So you don't have to hold your hand up. But let me just correct one thing: the textile drive continues. Uh, you have until Monday morning at noon to get your stuff here. So uh, we're going to turn all of your junk into medication to take into the Tanzanian refugee camp. Amen. So do you, uh, let's see. Did you just? Where are they? They're coming. They're coming. They're coming. So uh, pull out your cards, though, and let's get started. Pull out your Bible. And uh, we're going to get started right now in Genesis 15. So turn to 15. I'm going to give you a very, okay, here's your card. So raise your hand if you need some. Yeah, Bill, and then a couple of over here. But uh, we're going to get going here and see how far we can rock and roll. Amen. Amen we got a couple of weeks left here to be able to finish this up, and uh, I believe we can do it. Amen? So we've got the cards? We're good. Okay. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord God, I just ask you right now to just drop upon us, Lord, your wisdom, your knowledge, your strength, and everything that we need to know and what we can glean out of Abraham's life in Jesus' name. And everybody said This last week I was uh, reading, actually, I have a new book that I've been kind of reading. I've been reading lots of books. Don't you love it when I read books? Because I tell you all about them. Anyway, I've been reading one about uh, the uh, early church fathers, and there's one guy named Polycarp. I kind of shared with you a couple of weeks ago about Polycarp. He's the guy that was, uh, they, they tried to burn him alive, but the flames wouldn't come anywhere near him. Hallelujah! I mean, this story is for real. This was in about 110 BC, so that it was uh, in those first couple centuries. The flames wouldn't come anywhere near him, and there was a sense, an odor of incense in the entire arena there, where they usually, uh, uh, you know, where they do all the, you know, the gladiator fighting, and the, the place was full, and it was late at night, and they were burning him, they're trying to burn him to death, and this sweet smell filled the whole arena. He couldn't be burned. The flames were falling. Away. Shall we just preach on him instead of Abraham tonight? I, it was just such a cool story. Uh, anyway, they ended up having to run down and kill him with a spear because the fire wouldn't burn him. Amen. I'm telling you what. Cool story. Uh, yeah, cool story. He got ran through the spear. Um, yeah, don't you love it? Uh, but, but the reason I'm bringing this up is that he did say, and in his writings, he, he was saying about how uh, he wished he knew more about the Old Testament kind of interesting. A mighty man of God, one of the ancient, you know, early church fathers who gave his life up for Christ, studied the exact same scriptures that we're studying right now, and he wished he knew more about the Old Testament. How many of you guys would join him tonight and say i wish i knew more about the old testament the cool thing is is that when we're reading these scriptures and when we're learning about them this isn't just something for today this is something these are scriptures that have been life-giving scriptures for believers and for the jews for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and we get our chance here tonight to open up the scriptures and learn a little bit more isn't that cool so don't feel like, you know, we're just this little group, little group sitting here just, you know, learning some, some stories. No, you are not. You are a chain of many believers that when we put the whole thing together, we're going to have the body of Christ someday. And we're going to sit next to Polycarp and all these other great and mighty uh, godly men and women who come before us who've studied these same scriptures. And I'll tell you what, one of these days I'm going to go right on up to Abraham, I'm going to shake his hand. I must say, I've read about you. I heard about you. And you can do the same. Amen? Will you join me in that? Okay, so um, we blew through about four chapters the last time I spoke, and uh, so let's go ahead and open, actually scoot back to Genesis 12, I'm going to give you the very quickest review I have ever been able to give, my husband always cringes when I say we're going to review, he always tells me don't do it, but I I always got to get a running start at this stuff, amen, we got to kind of back up and get running until we can jump, right, Okay, so um, chapter 12, uh, up until chapter 12, we learned about the beginnings of the earth and how this all came together and the flood and just Babel, the Tower of Babel, cool, cool things. I'd love to go back. and. Should we just go back and preach those things? Because those were really fun stories. Okay, forget it. We'll keep moving. So uh, chapter 12, we uh, leave that and we come into now Abram. Actually, the very end of chapter 11, we see the... the um, the lineage that goes from Shem, which is a son of Noah, on out to, to Abram. And uh, we find at the very end of chapter 11 that Abram was the son of Terah. Everybody say Terah. Terah. So here's Terah. Terah has three sons, right? We have Abe, Ram, we have Haran, and we have Nahor. Let me give you a quick rundown. Haran, H A R A N. Okay. And then I also gave you that map, right? The map has this a Mediterranean Sea. That's the Mediterranean Sea, right? And uh we've got some rivers that run through here like that. And we've got what will become Israel is right here, right? I can't tell you that it's the right, you know, but you yeah, know. Just follow me. Just Come with me wherever I go. Um, and then over here is a city named the very first city that is Earth-er. Er, <laughs> yes. But that's not the one I'm looking for. It starts with a B. Babylon, Babylon right? Okay, so Bab. Bab. The first, the first um, kingdom of this world, right? that uh, happened. And that was a great sermon. Get the, C- the CD. You'll love it. But there's another city over here, real close. And Scott, what is it? Ur. Exactly. Ur. You are Ur. Okay. And it's very close to Babylon. This is where Abram was born. Abram and his whole family lived right here. Very close to Babylon. It was a piece of Babylon. What do we know about Babylon? Very wicked, very idolatrous. Very pagan. So we do know that Abram was born into a very pagan household. Very pagan. In fact, there's scriptures that talk about Terah being an idolater, the father. Okay? So um, for some reason, Terah wakes up one morning and in chapter 11, the, uh, he decides to move his family. And so he moves his family. And remember, I told you that, yeah, this is, these are some rivers, but in this area, there's, there's mountains and there's desert. And so even to this day, there's not a lot of travel that goes this way. It goes up and down and then into Africa. This is Africa and all that. Israel sits right on this massive migratory freeway, shall we call it, of humanity that would walk all the way through Israel even up until the time of Jesus they would be walking through in fact I told you the last time that there was a main highway this main kind of thoroughfare went right through Galilee where Jesus did most of his preaching and the road is right next to the Sea of Galilee right where he would preach and his voice would carry because of the way the the land was and so Jesus was preaching to the nations as he was sharing the word. The Sermon on the Mount. All of those. Preached on the side of that road. Okay. So anyway. That's just a little side note. So they, they make this travel. And, but up here is a town called Haran. Not to be confused with this fella. Okay. So all these people leave. And they come up to Haran. And instead of continuing on. For some reason. They pause there. They stay there. And um, Haran... Actually, Haran dies down here. Sorry. So before they leave, we lose Haran. But Haran had a son named Lot. So Haran doesn't come with them up here to Haran. I know it's confusing, but please just bear with me. But the rest of them come up to Haran. They pause there. They stay there for a little while. And um, Tara ends up dying up here in Haran. And this is where we pick up in chapter 12. And it says here in chapter 12, verse 1, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. All of a sudden, God intersects Abram's life. He's 75 years old. He has spent 75 years in the home of an idolater, in very wicked uh, surroundings but yet we realized the last time we talked and get that CD if you want more information but that Abram was beginning to set himself apart as a different kind of man he led his family well the Bible says that one scripture that I gave you So he is being, for some reason, for some reason, God sees something in Abram, and he comes to Abram. This is the first time that we know of that Abram ever had any interaction with God. And God says, hey, listen, leave everybody, follow me. So guess what he does? He leaves them. So he leaves up here in Haran, he leaves Nahor. So Nahor sticks out up here, and Abram and Lot now travel down into the Canaan, okay? Now Nahor stays up here, and Nahor has a son named Laban, who has a daughter named, no, no, Rebecca, Rebecca. who eventually, Abram is going to have two sons named you don't know because I haven't told you yet, do you? Isaac and Ishmael. They're, you're going to learn about them tonight. So you got the two eyes coming out of Abram. Isaac. Now, who does Isaac marry? That's right. Right there. And she is up here in Haran waiting for her knight in shining armor to come. Okay? So are you all kind of tracking with me on how this all works? Okay, so... So Nahor stays up here and he his family continues their lineage. Abram and Lot travel down into Canaan and then we get the next couple of chapters. Got it? Okay, so let's let's fly. So what we have here in the first uh, couple of verses of, of chapter 12 there is, get out, of your, uh, get out of your father's household. Verse 2, I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left. See that? So Abram left. Abram is extremely good at obeying. Extremely good about obeying. He does what God says. And this is a massive thing that sets him apart from every other human being. Okay? So he goes on, chapter 12 is kind of a little interesting. Um, Actually, if you were to, you know, if we were to kind of put Abram's life into like an outline, at the very top of the outline, I would say Abram's life for the next couple chapters are filled with promises and testing. Write that down at the very top of your paper. Promises and testing. God, over the next three or four chapters, is going to come to Abram. This man who lives in a tent, who lives in the desert, who's got sand. Handles on and dust between his toes. And God keeps coming to him every, he shows up every once in a while and says, Hey, listen, I'm going to make you the best, the most amazing. You're going to have more kids than you can imagine. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be blessed. What is, what is God saying to just a normal man? It's crazy. He's just a normal man. Quote, unquote, he's a human like you and I. But these next chapters, full of God blowing his brain with ideas and dreams and, and promises. And then Abram has to get up in the morning and go about his day. Same old day, same old dust between my toes. You know, a rock in my sandal, you know, I'm supposed to be great. What am I doing with a rock in my sandal? You know, why do I have to deal with this kind of... Same life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Abram's life was filled with testing. He goes to the promised land, the the land, and when he shows up there, they're in a famine for heaven's sake. Troubles. Abram's life, even though promises are given and God shows up in his face, and you're going to be this and that, and it's going to be amazing, he still has to live his life. And it's not easy. Who can relate? Who can relate? Then uh, the uh, end of, well, actually the first, the first part of 13, we find that he leaves Egypt. They, he, they go into Egypt during the famine. Did you catch that? I want to make sure that you catch that. They go down into Egypt and he has a faulty roll with, with the wife saying he's his sister, her, her, she's the sister, you know, all that mess. Uh, and he fails his test. Anybody fail tests after God shows up and tells you how amazing you are and then you fall fat, flat on your face? Okay, the, you know, this whole sermon series is all about just making you feel real good about your life. Because there's so much hope. Um, so anyway, the first ver- uh, verses of 13, we find that he leaves Egypt. And when he leaves Egypt, he's very wealthy. So at least now he's not dealing with poverty. He's a very wealthy man. But now he's got to deal with the problems of wealth. You know, I'll tell you what. You know, you might think it's really hard to deal with your lack But I will guarantee you that if you had a lot, you'd have other hassles. Like your men not getting along with your dear nephew's men. And that they're fighting all the time. And that there's problems. And there's so many animals. And what are we going to do with all the cows and the chicken, they didn't have chickens, goats and sheep and, you know, problems, problems are coming his way. And so Lot and Abram have to separate. And Abram is a very kind man and very humble. So he says to Lot, which he never should have had to do in the first place. He did not have to do this, but he went to Lot and said, Hey, listen, Lot, we got to split up. It ain't working. You pick where you want to go. He was the elder. He was the patriarch. He should have just said, I'm going there. You're going there. But he didn't. He was very kind and, and very generous. And so he says, you pick where you want to go. And he goes, I want all that over there, the easy, fun stuff. So Lot picks the nice plain, you know, where all the great things are growing. And so Abram's like, cool. Well, I will guess I'll take the rocky hills over here, you know, where you might trip and fall every time you get out of your tent. But I'll go ahead over here, no problem and uh, then there's a separation of family, and he's sad, and God comes to him again at the end of 13. Uh, Verse 14 there says of chapter 13, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes from where you are. Look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see I will give you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted go walk through the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. Another mind-blowing, mind-boggling, are you kidding me kind of promise and vision. Give it to you. I'll give it to you. So what does verse 18 says? So Abraham moved his tents. Abram moved his tents and went on and started doing what God said. So he obeyed. Does it say there that Abram believed? says he obeyed, says he obeyed, I want to present to you that Abram is in a time of his life when God is blowing his brains out with promises and incredible ideas, incredible dreams, and yet he has to get up the next morning, pull his little shoes on, you know, put his robe on and go out there and beat up the world. Same day, same thing same problems, but just last night, what? I'm going to be what? I am what? Are you kidding me? He had more opportunities to wonder and to doubt and to think in his head, is his God a little, you know, what is going on? Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you see it? Okay, so then, verse four, uh, chapter fourteen, we find that Abram hears that uh, Lot is down there in the plain of Sodom and Gomorrah, and five, four kings come in, and they war over the five kings of where Lot is, and the five kings lose, and the four kings take everything—the women, the children, all the stuff—and they're they're high tailing it up north, you know, with all the goods, and and Abram finds out this is a huge army. Excuse me, people, this is. Four kings with four huge cities and all of their warriors and all that. Abram finds out that his nephew Lot is messed up and got taken away. And so he gets his 318 men. 318. Let's count you all. 318. Come on, people. And they were not a trained army, they were the, just the men in his household. But there was an injustice. There was an aggression, and there were many, many victims. These kings were not kind people. They were going to take horrible advantage of those women and those children. So Abram says, okay, let's go. Let's go. I mean, can you just see a Rambo movie? coming now. You know, let's go. Let's get them. So they get on their whatever they had, and they buzz down, and they chase after them. And guess what? Those 318 men rout those kings. Route them. Release all of those prisoners and bring them back. Amazing. He has that encounter there with Melchizedek. Very, very interesting. I could spend the whole night on that, but I won't. Don't you wish I would? Answer some questions maybe you have in your head. Um, well, when we land here in chapter 15, that was all from. That's all review. Remember all that? This is from two weeks ago. Okay, so chapter 15 is where we pick up. So he comes riding back into town. He's liberated all these uh, and all these people. And I'm sure in the back of his mind at this point, he's thinking he has four massive enemies now. How does the guy feel? The little guy after you beat up the bad guy accidentally, I mean, think about like on the playground. You know, you're, you're being bullied, and you just happen to get that lucky punch, you know, and the guy goes down, and then you're like, yeah, and you run home. And then you think, okay, I got to go back to school the next day? What are they going to do to me when I show back up on the playground, right? And so, you know, I don't know, but this very well could be where Abram's feeling right now. I, I just don't know. But... I find it very interesting that the Lord opens up chapter 15 with this. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And he said, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. This phrase, word of the Lord, this is the first time it comes, it happens in scripture, but it's going to happen many, many, many times from here on out. This is the first time the word of the Lord comes. And the thought here is, what does it mean? Why, why do we start having this phrase, the word of the Lord? The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. John 1.1 1, 1 says, let's turn there because I know I'm going to mess it up. Can you guys go to John 1.1 1, 1 back there? Because I don't know if I have it. Maybe I do. I mean, I do, Right? You there? John 1.1. 1, 1. Oh. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word of the Lord God, uh, the word of the Lord came. So there's a belief that at this point something happened. And now there's a transcendent. Moment in time where it very well could be that Jesus now becomes a spokesperson or a spokes, uh, you know, the, the word of the Lord, the mouth speaking at this point, okay? Very interesting thought. The word of the Lord came. The word of the Lord came. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. For I am your shield and your very great reward. Now, I'm going to take a little bit of time here because I love this. I love what I found in the word, where it brought together the word of the Lord and the concept that the word of the Lord is now a shield. I don't care how many kings you're going out against. If you are surrounded and set up by the word of the Lord in your life, you have his shield around about you. He is your protection. Let me just give you a couple of them. Second Samuel, I don't want to lose my place here. Oh, I did. 2 Samuel 22. Turn to that. Verse 31. Very, very interesting. Samuel, 2 uh, Samuel 22, verse 31. As for the Lord, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless, and he is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. These are promises. These are promises that you can walk in. Are you surrounded by the word of the Lord? Are you in the word? Are you, is Jesus Christ dwelling inside of you? Then, and if you can say yes, then you have the shield of the Lord around you at all times. His word is flawless. And he is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Do you love it? I love it. Try. Let's look at Psalm 18. Psalm 18, verse 30. As for the Lord, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield. What? We're hearing the same words over again. His word is a shield for all who take refuge in him. For all, uh, for who is God besides our Lord? And who is the rock except for our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet perfect like the feet of a deer, and enables me to stand on heights. He trains my hands for battle, and his arms, my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You give me the shield of victory, and your right hand sustains me. You stoop down to make me great. You broaden the path beneath me so that my ankles will not turn. The word of the Lord is flawless, and I will say to every single one of you, you have heard the word of the Lord. If you are a godly Christian man or woman, the word of the Lord comes. You hear it. You hear it. And I want to tell you and to remind you and to comfort you that the word of the Lord is flawless, and the words that he has given you are flawless. They are not broken. They are not to be broken. And when you walk in the word of the Lord, you are surrounded by a shield. Are you encouraged? To me, that's encouraging. I'm, I won't belabor the point any longer, but I think you understand, because we've got a long way to go. We're just in verse 1. We've got to keep rolling, don't we? After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. The word reward there means salary. And I want to remind you that just a few verses prior, when he brought back all of those goods and all of every person back to the, uh, their, their cities there, the king of Sodom came out and said, hey, listen, we're so thankful. Take, you take the goods, we'll take the people. And remember, Abram said something very interesting. He said, I have taken an oath with God. I have raised my right hand in pledge. That means that he, at some point, had a conversation with God and said that if you deliver these people into my hands, I will not take anything from them. I will only have you as my reward. So it's very interesting that God came to him and said that I am your very great shield and your reward. Did you know that the reward means salary, payment? Payment for your hard work. God is your salary. He is your sustenance. Amen? Verse 2, but Abram said, can you just imagine just this incredible encounter? And it says, but Abram said, O sovereign Lord. And I want you to know that that word sovereign means, uh, is the, the name Adonai in Hebrew. Adonai. Have you ever heard the name for God, Adonai? This is the first time it appears, Adonai. And whenever you see, see, it says sovereign Lord or Adonai Lord, Lord. Lord is Jehovah. So he, he's adding now a new, a new label, a new name for God. And it's called Adonai. And it means, what it means is you are my master. You are my absolute. It's the most, it's the most, uh, brings the most humility from me to you. Like if I were to, if I were to be speaking to the highest authority and I had the most humility, that's the name I would call him. So God, uh, Moses, or sorry, Abram comes to God and he calls out his name and he talks back to God. And I don't think that there's any other time where they have a conversation. The only time prior to here is God telling him and him doing. But here, here he's heard so many times, I'm gonna bless you, you're gonna be this, your your offspring are gonna be a million, you know, and da, 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 and he's been hearing this now for years. But there's only one problem. He has not had a child. He's been hearing the word of the Lord for years, but there's no reason to believe it. He has had nothing in the sight realm to confirm it. Sovereign Lord, Adonai, controller, my master and my owner, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant of my household will be my heir. Now I want you to hear this. Abram had a discrepancy. There was a discrepancy between everything God always says and what was reality. A huge discrepancy. Now that discrepancy has the ability to turn humanity away from him. It has the ability to cause us to go to another human and begin to complain about God. Abram never complained about God, but he did come to God with his problems. This was not a bad thing. This was the best thing in the world. When you have discrepancies in your life, when you have struggles in your life, go to him and talk to him. Years of hearing I mean, eventually, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'd probably look at him and go, yeah, it sounds really good, but pfft. I got to have at least one before I can have a million. What are you going to do, God? I'm getting old. Then the word of the Lord came to him again. So this is number two. This man shall not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. Own body. Everybody say own body. Genesis 2.22 says that when a man and wife are married and they cleave together, they are now one flesh, one flesh. They are of the same body, of the same body. So I want to bring to you folks right here and now that when, when the word of the Lord came and said that the son, that your heir, the one that is going to come is going to be from your body, he meant from Abram and Sarah because they were one body. Sarah, and so basically he's saying to you, your wife and you will have a baby, no other way. Agreed? And they took him outside, and he said, look up into the heavens and count the stars. Now, I want to bring to you that if he's outside looking at stars, do you think it's day or night? Good. Look up to the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said, so shall your offspring be. One more, let's just blow your brain out again. Can you count these stars? That's your babies. But I haven't even had one. But I haven't even had one. You keep telling. This has the power to make you very bitter at God. How many people have had amazing words of God and then a long time of testing and become bitter? Why would a God tell me such great things and then drag me through such pain? I am here to tell you that sometimes the word of the Lord that comes to us and his great dreams and his great desires are sometimes so big they cannot be fulfilled during your lifetime. But that you are one that would carry the dream and carry the word of the Lord. And if you will mix it with what Abram does with the very next verse here, but if you will mix it with belief, then you will be one that will carry and nurture the dream, nurture the plan, nurture God's thing, so that maybe, just maybe, you won't be the one that will see it, but you will pass it on to the next generation at the fullness of time with very faithful, God-fearing, believing people. It will come to a place where it can come to fruition. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, let's just turn there very quickly. Hebrews 11, did I mark it? You go through all these faith people, uh, starting with verse 11. By faith, Abram, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he, consi- he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, he, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Verse 13, and this is where I'm headed. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things that were promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Did Abram ever see numerous descendants? Did he ever see a great nation come from him? Did he? He saw two sons. And maybe their grand, you know, we don't know where, however many, he saw a few. But the word of the Lord came and said, I was going to be a great nation. Sometimes the word of the Lord that is birthed in our hearts is so big that our lifestyle, our lifespan cannot produce it. But God needs faithful bearers who will, who will hold that seed and carry it and walk in faith and believe so that he can keep that thing alive and keep passing it on until the fullness of time when it can be seen. But so many of us are not mature enough to do that. So many of us hear the word of the Lord. We look at our lives and we go, yeah, right, and walk away. We kill the dream of God. We kill it. Because we're not big enough to see that, oh, my word. What if this thing, what if God is asking me to carry faith for a generation that might not be seen in my generation, but it will be seen in three generations? And if I stand true, if I cover that thing in prayer, if I do not dig that thing up and kill it with my own words and with my own turning of heart away from him, if I can stay faithful through that, I will deliver to the next generation the ability to carry that word out. I'm calling you to a big thing. I'm calling you to a big thing because most people can't see beyond the tip of their nose, including me. We have had words and words and words over this church that would be a mighty place and that it will be hundreds and thousands of people. And I'll tell you what, there was a time about five or six years into the working of this church when I didn't see it. And I grew sick inside. For hope deferred makes the heart sick. I wanted to quit. I wanted to run. What kind of God am I serving? That he would dangle a carrot out in front of me and then make, you know, not let me eat it. But I began to realize, and I'm seeing more and more now, that maybe the call of this church is greater than anything I could ever see through my lifetime. You are a part of something huge, because I know God has spoken huge things into every single one of your hearts. I've heard your dreams I've heard them. Do not forsake them. Let God keep working. You might not see them in your lifetime. Oh, hallelujah. I pray I don't see it all in my lifetime because then it'll be very small. Good. Verse 6, and this quite possibly, and I've read many um, commentaries this week, and they have declared this as being the most vital verse of the entire Old Testament. Abram believed the Lord. First time Abram believes. He obeyed. Now there's a shift. He believes. Shift. Everybody say shift. Where is belief at? Belief is in your mind and your heart. It's it's inside. This is the very thing that we've been talking about since the creation of man and God inserting into man sovereign will made in his image. We talked about why did he do it? I don't understand. Adam and Eve blew it. All the evil that came. All of the evil through Noah's life. What was he thinking? This moment is what he was thinking. Because when a human chooses to engage his heart and his mind and to place his belief in God, amazing things happen. This moment is the moment and the reason God did what he did. And when even one human being makes a sovereign choice inside that says, God, I hear you. Now I'm going to Believe in you. He says, For this reason have I suffered through so much rejection because the love of even one chosen love of even one human being makes it absolutely worth it. Abram believed and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. He says, I am the one. I am the one that started the whole thing. I am the one that said... Actually, when they left the earth, there was no word of the Lord, but he said, I am the one that brought you up out of Babylon. Babylon, I'm the one that brought you up out of your idolatrous culture. I am the one that drew you out and called you out and brought you out. I am the one. God is in charge of your life. He has watched over you from before you could say his name and he's been calling you and drawing you and bringing you to where you're at right now. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, so once again, incredible humility. How can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each of three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Those are the five animals that will be outlined by Moses for sacrifice. This sacrifice is a complete and utter sacrifice. He asked for every single one of the animals. It's not a partial sacrifice. This one is a complete, has all of them. Abram brought them all to him, cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. Now I would suggest, and a lot of the commentaries that I suggest is that first whole, whole scenario went through the night. Now we're into daytime. It takes a while to go out and catch a ram, a goat, da-da-da-da, to take them, to cut them, you know, to kill them, to cut them, to lay them out and to prepare them. So he spent a good portion of his day doing that, and he laid them all out. He did not know why. Everybody say, I don't know why. I don't know why. But he did it because what? Obedience, God said, do it. So he's like, okay, laid them all out. Shoot. Well, no birds. She thought it was flies. It's not flies. It says, right, if you know your scripture, next (laughs) I got you, didn't I? (laughs) Birds of prey, I don't think I read that part. Verse 11, then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. So so very, well, yeah, I'm sure there were flies. I'll give you the flies, okay? (laughs) But biblically, large, really big, feathery flies. So Abram spends the day... Obeying God with nothing happening. Other than having to watch over everything and make sure that the birds of prey. Birds of prey are quite often um, signify Satan. Demonic, you know, things that come to kill, steal, and destroy. So he had to protect his gift, protect his offering. Drive the prey, the birds of prey off. Keep it fresh while he waits. Everybody say wait. Who loves waiting? Plus, if you don't even know what's going to happen. Okay, I think he had some idea because the way that this is, this is a very well-known thing that happened back in these days called a covenant. And when you cut a covenant in these in these ancient days, you would cut the carcass in half, cut the animal in half, and both parties would walk through the carcass, and what you would be signifying is that if I break this covenant and the promises that we're making, and if I don't, you know, I could just preach all night on covenant because it's so cool, but if I break this thing, be it as unto me as it is these animals. Kill me. Cut me in half. Destroy me. That's what the cutting in half meant. So he spends all day waiting. What a patient man. I think I would have given up by 10. There, done. Bam. Oh, brother. I think I'm going to go do something else. Anybody with me? Okay, maybe not. As the sun was setting, so now we got nighttime again. Abram fell into a deep sleep. Now that... Phrase deep sleep, has we've heard it once before. Do you remember Adam? God put Adam into a, and yeah, to pull Eve out of her of him, to separate male from female, masculine from feminine. It's a it's a it's a place where God puts us when He's going to do some surgery, do something deep. Did you know? Little sideline. Push pause. Did you know that in the 1800s, when doctors were wanting to do surgeries, but they hadn't yet invented anesthesia, that one guy in particular, I can't remember his name. Man, I wish I could remember his name. But he prayed to the Lord. He said, Father, your word said you put Adam and uh, Abram and different ones in a deep sleep. Teach me how you did that. And he invented anesthesia. Pretty cool. What do you think? Straight out of the Bible. Anyway, okay, unpause. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick, dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. Did you know that the Bible is 27% prophecy? 27%. And you just heard some right there. Did you know that every single prophecy that has come out of the Bible has either come to pass or is yet to come to pass? None of them have not come to pass. God just prophesied. Does that mean I'm done? That's my five-minute warning. Afterward, you will come out with great possession. Do you think that happened? How'd that happen? Turn to Exodus 11. I want you to see something. Exodus 11. Oh, where is it? Exodus 11, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague upon Pharaoh and on Egypt, and after that you will, they will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people, the men and the women alike, to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. So the night that all of their firstborns died, and Pharaoh said, Go, they were commanded to go to their neighbor's house, knock on it, and say, Give me all your silver and gold. And guess what they did? Gave it to him. How in the world would God have built a tabernacle out in the middle of the desert with gold, with the the Ark of the Covenant, and with the table of showbread, and the candlestick, if they had not had gold? I think he's pretty smart. With great possessions. You will, verse 15, back in Gen- uh, Genesis 15:15. 15, 15, you will, however... You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried in, good, in a good old age. And the fourth generation of your descendants will come back here. And the sin of the Amorites has not yet f- reached its full measure. The Amorites were a very large portion of the Canaanites. And sometimes the Canaanites were actually spoken of as the Amorites because it was such a major portion. Now, if you'll remember, and I don't know if you will, uh, when Abram went up to save Lot... He was living at the tree of Mamre, remember the Mamre tree, next to, um, there was three Amorite brothers there, and those guys were friendly to Abram and went with him to help liberate those people. Just read your, read your chapter before, you'll see it. So that it's very apparent there are still some good Amorites out there. So they haven't become totally evil yet. It's not time to judge them, and that's what he's saying right here. They have not reached their full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Now, I want you to see something. Abram did not pass through the pieces. Abram is knocked out on the sidelines in a deep sleep. Only God passed through those pieces. This is a covenant that God made completely for Abram. God did all the work. It reminds me of another covenant, a covenant of the cross, where Jesus Christ laid it all down. We did not have to do the work of that covenant. Jesus did it all. And in this passage, it's the same. There's so much depth here, I could go on for another hour. I would not want to do that, though I might get in trouble. As the sun set, darkness had fallen, a smoking pot, fire pot with a blazing torch, representing the presence of God, appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenites. Kenizzites, Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. What an incredible 24 hours, wouldn't you say? So wouldn't you say that if you survived those 24 hours that you would kind of maybe believe pretty strongly? Yeah, can you imagine? He comes home after being knocked out all night again. You know, where were you? Where have you been? What did you get done all day? Well, you know, well, who knows what all happened. But let's look at uh, verse six, uh, chapter 16 very quickly because something is going to take a major ch- turn of offense immediately. And I want you to see how immediate this is, and then we will quit. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant. The thought here is that this maidservant was given to her when they went to Egypt. Okay? Named Hagar. The word Hagar means to flee. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me without children. Go and sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Wait. The son was supposed to be from their own body. He just had 24 hour divine encounter. Promising. Proving. How can I know? Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had lived in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. And he slept with her and she conceived. Now what happens here, I'm just going to go very quickly. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. She rose up in pride and arrogance. Sarai comes to Abram and accuses him of all the problems. This is your fault. This is all your fault. How many of you have ever done that? Girls? I pray. I was reading this and just repenting of all my sin. So it's all your fault. Abram says, Do with her what you would have. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar and she ran. She fled. Her name was flee. Remember to run away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar at the spring of the desert. It was a spring that was beside the road. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I am running away from my mistress. I am going back to Egypt, basically, because that's the direction she was headed. Then the angel said, go back to your mistress, submit to her. I will increase your descendants and they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord said to her, you are now a child and you will have a son and you shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard your misery... The word Ishmael means God shall hear. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. In reality, he ended up uh, being born and having 12 princes. That whole lineage turns into the Arabs of today, the Boudouins. B-U-D, Bedouins. I don't know how to pronounce it. But that is the lineage that comes out of them. And I have cool things I was going to read, but I'm running out of time that actually describe kind of how that whole thing has come to rest, even today, that this prophecy still remains. Just to finish up the chapter, verse 13, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. What she did was she looked at him and said, okay... Obviously, you have seen me in my evil, you've seen me in my hurt, you've seen me in my pride, you've seen me in my anger, you've seen me in everything I've done wrong, you saw me run away, and you see me even now traveling in the opposite direction of who you are. You are the God who sees. The name of that is El-Roi, R-O-I, and we're going to see that elsewhere in the word. But whenever you see the name of God, El-Roi, I call him Roy, r O-I-L-Roy, it means God who sees me, he who sees everything, not just my good, not just what I'm doing when I'm up here preaching. He sees me when I'm quiet, when I'm at home, when I'm thinking things I shouldn't be thinking. He's the one that comes to me at every moment of every time of my life and says, listen, girlfriend, what are you doing? Where are you going? Well, I'm going over here. Why are you doing that? Go back, submit to your mistress and do things right because I know exactly where you are. I know exactly the situation that you're in and I have blessings for you even though you are not the one that it was supposed to come through. The one who sees. Verse 15, so Hagar bore Abram a son and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael. Let's all stand. Did you learn something? So many ways we could go with this sermon here today. But I think the main thing that I want to bring out to you is that if God has given you a word, and you have to wake up every morning in the dreary drudginess of everyday life. That does not mean that the word of the Lord that came to you was wrong. Neither does it mean that the Lord is able to, not able to make it come to pass. But that you are now carrying the seed of greatness inside of you that might be greater than anything that can come to pass in your life. I want you to see yourself right now as something great. If he has reached down into your life and spoken promise into your life, you are now the seed-bearing womb of his word that he wants to come to pass. And just because you don't see it come to pass, do not become weary. No. That the God of that word stands behind it is more than capable of ever seeing it come to pass. And if your faith becomes weak, your job is to believe. Your job is to carry that thing. Your job is to nourish that thing. Your job is to speak over that thing. Your job is to say, say, say the words that God said, not the words you think, not the words you see, not the words you might worry about. Your job is to say God's words because he said them first. And when you put life to them, you are nourishing that inside of you. challenge every single one of you. Raise your hands up in the air. Close your eyes. Just begin to think right now. Just begin to think right now. of The words that he has spoken to you. What are some of the promises? What are some of the promises? What are some of the promises? What are some of the words that he said to you? Way back. Reach way back. Reach way back into youth days. Reach way back. What are the things that you know God has for you? begin to say him, just begin to say him. Oh, but Joel, they're so ridiculous. Yeah, it was ridiculous for him to go home and say, tell Sarah, yeah, we're going to be, you know, like parents of many thousands of people. Oh, but give life because it's the ridiculous things of God that turn the world upside down. And oh, for a faithful people to carry that dream and to speak it that someday we could go to heaven and we will look down. We will become a part of that great cloud of witnesses that is up there looking down and we're seeing the next generation that has been given that same dream to carry it and you're up there cheering them on. Come on, don't give it up because I will guarantee you that the word you carry was given to the generations before you even. Carry it. Be faithful in Jesus' name. Don't become unfaithful to the promise.